Welcome into Two for One Drafts. This is Austin Gale with Mike Renner. We're on PFF's new Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. We are live. Do you still call it new? It's, I guess it's not new anymore. I guess we're just it's mainstays. It's like episode seven. Exactly. It's like <laughs> mainstays. PFF's Rookies and Drafts podcast. We're live on YouTube every Tuesday and Thursday. And you can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Um, we're pretty much everywhere, like just I said. Just Google us. Yeah, just You'll Google find. us. You'll find us. You'll we're find big us. Deal. Um, the logo's awesome, all of that stuff. So we got a ton of stuff to get into today. Tuesday, yes. a big review day. So Tuesday's usually our review day of the rookies and draft prospects. And then Thursday, a little bit more of a preview day where mm-hmm. we look at stuff coming up ahead. But today, first things first, we're going to go to our position rankings for the offensive side of the ball, our early position rankings, best at every offensive position in the 2020 draft class yes. right now. A lot of good names on there. One questionable name. We'll get to that name. Mm. I, I, one maybe I disagree with but okay. we'll, we'll get there then we also go to our draft specials plan on that two for one drafts little wordplay action where we talk about our favorite prospect performances from the weekend then we're going to pour one out for a couple bad prospect performances and then we're going to have our rolling rooks little play on the green can rolling rocks something i've hammered in my day at san diego state rolling rooks where we right go now. over our top rookie performances then we're going to go through some blackouts another thing i hammered at san diego state those are bad rookie performances from the weekend and then Mike's got a little microbrew for us. Got a us. microbrew. Microbrew, a small school prospect that maybe you're not hearing a ton of hype on, but should be you're getting... Gonna like, you're going like to like the way it tastes. You're going to like the way it tastes. Um, let's get into those much-anticipated position rankings, starting with the quarterback position. Not yes. a ton of surprises here. Tua Tagovailoa, he is the number one quarterback in this class, and he's done... Yes, a lot of his yards have come after the catch. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's got some of the best receivers in football, but he still looks the part and has, has performed very well to start. Yeah, the thing is, he's just he's not really making mistakes with the football stuff. Uh, yes, he hasn't had to go down the field to rack up his yardage, uh, but I think that's the sort of the... Sort of a hallmark of a good quarterback is if you don't have to, you know, make your life e- as easy as humanly possible. If you don't have to, you know, throw that 50-yard bomb on a dime to get a touchdown... Don't go ahead and throw it. So I do think we've seen, you know, pretty much the status quo with Tua. The guy we saw last year for the majority of the season before the wheels started to come off a little bit down the end, the injury. We've seen that guy, you know, every single game this season. So uh, to that end, I I think there's no change at the top. But I will say it wasn't, it was close. There's a guy rising up the board right now in Joe Burrow who... Uh, I'm say, like I'm saying, Tua's seat is not uh, completely ice cold. It could be he could be re- unseated by the end of the year in the top of our quarterback rankings. Joe Burrow has been better this year from a draft perspective. He has been racking up those yardage on those NFL caliber yes. sort of throws, the most yardage on pass attempts, ten plus yards downfield tar- passes targeted, ten plus yards downfield of any quarterback in the nation this season. He continues that in it through the SEC schedule. If he doesn't have those any hiccups, if he continues what we've seen from him, I, I will say this right now: he will be the number one quarterback uh, in our rankings by the end of the season. If he does that, big if. Yeah, he's got Florida, he's got Bama left on the schedule. Those are two tough secondaries. But if he does it against them, he is. That's yeah. going to be gonna on be that. One. On that note, I want to start with Tagovailoa. You mm-hmm. look at what he's done from a production standpoint: eighty-seven point two pass rush grade so far this year, according to PFF's grades at the college pass level. Pass rush grade? No, pass rush passing grade. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, passing grade. He's got he's seven, a two-way guy. But what's crazy about this is only seven big-time throws and two turnover-worthy exactly. plays. You compare that the, to a guy like Joe Burrow, who's having. He, I, th- I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me right double now. Digit, double digit. Double yeah. digit big-time throws. Those are highly graded throws in PFF system, and sixty-five percent of two attack of Iloa's yards have come after the catch. Just yeah, a dot, crazy number. 8.4 yards down the field. He's not being asked to do a lot, and yes, he's limiting mistakes, mm-hmm. but at the same time, 
you need to. I want to see him do yeah. a lot before you're willing to kind of make him the number one guy. But I think that's also the thing is that we've seen him do it in games in the past, mm-hmm. and he's never had the dud of a game until you know until he actually did get hurt down the stretch last season. Um, so I do think. Yes, those games will be big for him down the stretch this year. You know, when he does face, you know, SC Championship, uh, most likely the playoff uh, when they get there, Alabama, I guess it's almost, we're calling it a foregone conclusion at this point. Yeah. But uh, I, I do think that uh, if he shows that, if he does the same thing in those games, if he, you know, plays differently than he did last year in those games, we can talk. If he does fall apart, though, again, eh, there's definitely more of a conversation mm-hmm. to be had, but I, I think the body of work at this point far more consistent with Tua than any of the other quarterbacks. Staying on this quarterback group, I just want to bring up two other names for you. I know Tua Tagovailoa in the front, Burrow kind of scratching there, trying to get there with 10 big-time throws. Just looked up the numbers myself. Two other names that are getting brought up, Justin Herbert of Oregon, right now six big-time throws, two turnover-worthy plays, just a 82.3 passing grade, and a guy that people are falling in love with, Utah State's Jordan Love, a guy mm. who right now has a 74.3 passing grade and 10, 10 big-time throws, which he has that high end. And I think that's what people fall in love with, mm-hmm. 10 turnover-worthy plays yes. in the Mountain West. I mean, I, I think Jordan Love's getting a lot of hype. I like his athletic ability. I think he does have that high end, that highlight reel plays that you like to see. But at the same time, when you're putting, you know, putting the ball in harm's way at the level he is right now compared to the rest of this group, it's hard to really even justify he's a top-three quarterback in this class. Yeah, he doesn't have a cannon for an arm, but he has a strong arm. He has a good arm. My favorite thing about him is he puts fantastic touch on the football. He throws, uh, he'll throw that ball over the linebackers, underneath the safeties. He throws that as well as any quarterback in the country. His footwork, though, is a mess. He he does not step into all his throws. He's all over the place with that. So that's the biggest thing I need to see from him. The accuracy just downfield suffers because of that. I, I think I told actually Steve Palazzolo after watching him, you know, for a long period of time, love. I said I think he's what people wanted Deshaun Kaiser to be. Mm-hmm. Deshaun Kaiser just didn't have any sort of pocket breath. Had similar issues with like his feet uh, throwing the ball. Uh, down the field would get inconsistent, would make very nice throws, could put touch on the football, has easy, you know, quick release. But Kaiser didn't have any sort of pocket presence to where he could hold up and throw from NFL pockets. Love does. Takes sacks at a very low rate, uh, one of the lowest rates in the entire country in terms of converting pressure to sacks. That's who he's, That's a very good translatable uh, trait to have from college to the pros. So that's from that point of view, I like him better as a prospect than Kaiser. But still, the downfield accuracy issues worry me at this point. So he's fifth on our board mm-hmm. at the moment. Let's go to running backs. But I think it's a very good quarterback class is what I'm going to say. If, I, I, he, if, yeah. he, if him being fifth on our board and I'm saying we like him better than Kaiser and we had Kaiser as like a late second rounder, that means that uh, we have, you know, love for sure. like five love. guys. <laughs> we have five guys within the first, you know, uh, round and a half or so. Let's go to running backs on these position rankings. Just you know, finishing up quarterback. Travis Etienne, Clemson, easily the top running back in this class right now. I think Zach Moss looks very mm-hmm. good for Utah, but at the same time, ETN kind of running away with it a little bit. He's just a big play. He is just the best big play threat to come out. You know, since Saquon Barkley, uh, probably going to run the four threes at 210 pounds. Uh, the tackle breaking is there. The only thing is receiving ability. Uh, he's caught more balls this season. He hasn't. He had drops in the past. Four drops last year on 16 catchable. Only one drop this year on 11 catchable. It's a little better. I don't. He's never going to be your. You know, split him out wide, throw it to him. That sort of back. But I do think that his dynamicism in space is what you want for the modern NFL. He is just going to be a weapon wherever you want to use him. Uh, and he can catch enough and sort of swing passes to where you can still be deployment in a number of different roles. So I do think that ETN 
just that explosiveness is tailor-made for the modern NFL. Dragging down his rushing grade right now are two fumbles, but yeah. he has forced missed tackles at an absurd rate, averaging mm-hmm. .37 forced missed tackles per attempt right now, over four yards after contact. But i got to bring up another former Clemson back now. Tavian Feaster of South Carolina has a very Oof. high rushing grade right now. He's averaging .34 forced missed tackles per carry. What have you seen from him? I, I, I really like this past week for him. I think he's a guy, a little bit of a bigger back, a bruiser, but can force missed tackles and gain yards after contact. Similar to ETN, maybe doesn't have that home run, but very mm-hmm. and similar in that they're both kind of bigger backs. Well, ETN's a little smaller back. Okay. ETN's like 210. So, okay. but, so Feaster is definitely a larger back. I hadn't watched him much last season because uh, he only you know had 80 carries on the year. Uh, is now getting the bulk of their carries with already 50, and it looks like a different back so far. Now, and now, again, you worry about banking on a small sample size because last year on 80 attempts, only broke 10 tackles. Uh, this year has already broken more. You notice that only set, already broken 17 on 50. So you want to see it uh, you know, through some better competition. You watch, you know, go back to that Alabama game earlier in the year, only broke two tackles on 10 attempts. He wasn't necessarily great in that game, only 33 yards. So. Yeah. Uh, the guys that feast on the less competition don't show up in the bigger games. I tend to uh, just get worrisome, uh, like I said, with the sample size at that point. Let's see him do it through the rest of the year. Another name that kind of gets brought up a ton in the running back conversation right now is Wisconsin back Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's a guy, though, that people love. He's got the, you know, He's got a lot of big plays right now, but he's running behind a very good Wisconsin offensive line. Of the backs we've mentioned, he has the lowest average force missed tackles per attempt. Does Isn't gaining a ton of yards after contact comparatively to how much he's getting before contact. Yeah. What, you know, what are your takes right now on Jonathan Taylor? I think he's a very good back, but right now I don't see that dynamism, you know, that elusive mm. ability that you mm. see with Travis Etienne and even Zach Moss, who's .54 force missed tackles per attempt for Moss right now. I need that elusive ability. We've seen from George and Eric, yeah. force missed tackles per touch and yards after contact per touch translate year over year or stable year over year and go from college to pros. That's what I want to see more from Taylor. Yeah, when Jonathan Taylor stops his feet on runs, he's basically done. His stop-start ability is not on par with some of the other top running backs in this class. He has to be one cut, get upfield, go. When he does break a tackle, it's because he's at full speed and the guy's bouncing off him. That's just uh, that's helpful in the NFL. I don't think that's you're necessarily what you want out of a receiving threat. That's not what you want uh, in terms of the space game where the NFL is going. You want a guy with some shake in the hole. Jonathan Taylor, uh, I think he's more of your old school uh, you know, late 2000s, you know, 2008, 2009, he would have been your, you probably would have been an elite running back in the NFL with, you know, the way the running schemes were back then. But with more space, I'm not sure he's necessarily, uh, we're still high on him. I'm saying mm-hmm. we're not high on him, fourth yeah. running back on our draft board. But I just don't, I think that all the other guys on the list have a little more uh, translation to a modern NFL offense. Talk about guys with some shake. You got the wide receiver position. Number one right now on our board is going to be. Jerry Judy of Alabama. He has been absolutely lights out to start this year. So has pretty much every Alabama wide receiver, but he is legitimately special moves differently before and after the catch. I mean, I feel like we're raving about him on every podcast. He is kind of solidifying himself as the number one wide receiver in this class can do so much, Mm -hmm. create separation, force missed tackles after the catch. I think he's a sure-handed player as well. I think Judy, one of the more polished wide receiver prospects we've seen in a while. Yeah. The only thing is that like he really hasn't faced a ton of press coverage up to this point in his career because he does work out of the slot. And they move him around a lot, a lot there. Yeah. yeah, in that Alabama offense, will get him free releases, uh, and that's something you always worry about translating from college to the pros because it's kind of like offensive line versus defensive line in that 
you have to win that interaction. So mm-hmm. to win a route, you have to win that interaction at Player the line of scrimmage. Player wins yes. are, are so important when you look and, at pass rush wins, wide receiver wins, like going against one on one. We've talked about yeah. that in previous podcasts. Mm-hmm. We need to see more of that from Judy, but we think from what we've seen, we think he can win in those situations. Yes, and and so the thing is, you're, you're facing college cornerbacks who won themselves don't know how to press worth a damn. Uh, and so you can just, the moves that you use on them, it's very similar to, like I said, college pass rushers. Sometimes they're just not going to be translatable to the NFL because the guys you're facing stink. And then all of a sudden you get to the NFL, you're facing press coverage more than you ever did in college because uh, NFL corners press a lot more. It's something like, uh, you know, top flight wide receivers in the NFL will see press 60% of the time. You're seeing it like 25% of the time in college. So uh, you'll see it a lot more. You see a lot better players. So it's something you want to see. But I think if you, with Judy's skill set, with how elusive he is after the catch, with how much shake he has, with how just flexible he is in his whole athletic profile, I'm not too worried about it. There's only 21 snaps he's faced press this season wow. as a route runner. That's an incredibly low number. Probably the first game he goes on the NFL field, he could feasibly see more if he's playing outside receiver at the next level in one single game but i'm not terribly worried about it with his like i said all the other skill sets he possesses uh the dude is a freak of nature certifiably what are other you know receivers right now you know outside of judy kind of mm-hmm. below judy on this list that are kind of competing for those top spots because it's a deep wide receiver yes. class there are a lot of names that people are falling in love with right now maybe no more than jerry judy but some guys that are falling in at number two and number three and competing for those spots it is kind of absurd the depth of this the fact that judy with how talented he is is not necessarily the clear-cut number one there are got other receivers in this class that got you know evaluators like more than judy cd lamb is a guy who i love I, I think as a pure route runner and his ball skills in terms of like body control at the catch point he might be better the deandre judy hopkins comps are unfair but you do he has see, those sort yes, of yes you do see a lot of those Just skills unbelievable body control wherever the ball is going to land he is going to get himself in the best position to get there you know opposed and with you know, shielding the DB, using his leverage, that sort of thing. He is fantastic at that. Uh, I just don't think he is the next tier of athlete that I think Judy is going to be. I think Judy's going to run the four threes. CD probably runs like mid four fours. That's no like. That's a very damn good time for a yeah, wide receiver yeah, yeah. in the NFL. Not that's not a knock on him by any means. I just think Judy's next level in terms of athletically. But Lamb, I mean, the dude's a top five to ten player in this class. Uh, if you drafted him in the top five, I'm not going to argue he's that good at receiver. So what about, what that's about one too. T Higgins. T. Higgins is a guy who actually didn't make my top five, but I felt really bad about it afterwards because I'm like, <laughs> dude, this, I mean, this guy is a, probably a top 15 to 20 player in this class, didn't even make the top five. Uh, and every time I flip on the tape, I'm like, I, I'm always wary about bigger wide receivers uh, being able to get off press coverage, you know, being Great able to separate. Separation. I think he can. And, and I go to this past week, we'll actually talk about him later because he's in one of our draft specials. Ooh. But he, his body control, his, he actually... Uh, you know, he's actually at that level in terms of contested situations. He is good enough to where that is a, le- I think he will be a legit weapon and, a le- and he'll legitimately be able to get by with that, even if he's not separating at an elite level like some of the other guys ahead of him. So I struggled ranking him sixth in these rankings, not even having him in the top five because he's still a damn good player. He's more sudden than other big receivers, exactly. too. Yeah. I think he has plus contested catchability and will struggle to create separation compared to these other guys, but it won't be as bad as some of the other bigger receivers that are kind of getting hyped mm-hmm. up right now. i got to bring up a guy, Oregon State, Isaiah Hodgins, who's graded really well so far. He's got great contested catchability, but if you compare those two kind of bigger receivers There's from a suddenness, suddenness standpoint Oof, yeah. and ability to separate, it's night and day. T. Higgins is a completely different player compared to Hodgins. Hodgins has won on some double moves. I watched mm-hmm. all of his targets before the podcast 
pod today has won on some double moves, but I'll tell you right now, the dude moves like a cinder block. And the change of direction is very scripted. You can tell it's coming. I'm not sure how these DBs are getting beat as bad yeah. as they are against Hodgins because he just doesn't have and that suddenness. The biggest thing is you see it shows up after the catch. He has 123 catches for his career, eight broken tackles. Oh, Hodges. my. That's a absurdly low number that is you know that's almost a non-starter when projecting the next level you have to be able to add something after the catch i don't care who you are eight broken tackles against college dbs means you get to the pros you might not break a single tackle Mm -hmm. in your career it's just not good all right let's move off of wide receivers let's go down to tight end a guy that you really really like you liked going into this year he has struggled out of the gate and i don't i think that's putting it lightly jared pinkney of vanderbilt i think you'd like his athleticism i know you do compared him to antonio gates before the year but i i think if he's gonna stay at number one on this list he's got to show more very soon yeah i I mean tight end's such a fickle position in terms of usage it's so scheme dependent he has 15 targets through four games i don't care who you are you're not going to be producing at a high level with 15 targets through four games only 120 yards 15 targets he's going to make we're going to pour one out from a little later because we're going to talk <laughs> about how bad this past week was but 15 targets 10 catches only one broken tackle it just hasn't been good and he's just not been getting uh used in that vanderbilt offense uh at some point we're gonna have to go reassess why that usage is you know why he isn't being uh, utilize the way I thought he could be as in a downfield threat, you know, as a complete sort of tight end at the next level is what I saw him as a complete route runner, but still at the top of our rankings, but one guy rising very quickly, Washington's Hunter Bryant. Yes. Uh, you talk to us in two weeks, this might be very much, there's a very good chance this might be flipped with the way Hunter Bryant's playing this year. I want to talk about tight end evaluation overall, like player evaluation for that position is so, it's very scheme dependent. Yeah. Like you, you talk about wide receivers, you try and find these wide receiver wins against press and all that. You rarely ever you find tight end wins. Like they're not yeah. going against man coverage. They're not being asked to win one-on-one mm-hmm. matchups ever, if not, you know, sometimes here and there. And yeah. with, with that, you need to project athletes. You need to find athletes that can create after the catch, like an Evan Ingram, mm-hmm. like an OG. Jay Howard. I think George Kittle can do well after the catch. You need to find these athletes that can block and have the size, all that stuff, but you need to find guys that can do damage after the catch and make plays in a scheme favoring offense. Yeah, I think the thing we kind of just talked about CD Lamb, ball control, ball skills are far more important to a tight end position yes. than the route running necessarily. Necessarily, even like the athleticism, there's kind of like a a bar of athleticism. As long as you clear that bar of athleticism, you can be a competent tight end in the NFL. Uh, if you're below that, then we'll talk. But uh, I think the ball skills, the ability to make contested catches actually matters there because you're going over the middle. You're going to take hits. You're going to be targeted in the red zone. Can you secure that ball with linebacker or safety? Someone draped all over you. That, to me, is big. Uh, and if you are a freak athlete, which I think Hunter Bryant's probably, you know, at 6'2", 240, he runs... Uh, he moves like a wide receiver. He, I think he's going to legitimately run in the four or fives when he does come out. That's how uh, I just think he's that level of athlete. Then you can start talking to me, and he has very good ball skills himself. He's just more uh, – he's going to offer almost nothing as a run blocker at that size. Uh, you're all, you're pretty much begging teams to match you know, a two tight end personnel with still nickel. Uh, because he's just not going to, he's not going to worry you about getting beat in the running game. So that's that's the only thing I worry about with Hunter Bryant. But his receiving skills right now, uh, I mean, he's off the charts. He probably is the top pure receiver 
uh, at the tight end. And what else do you want? And what else do you want at this point? Today's NFL. But let's go to the offensive tackle position. Tristan Wurst of Iowa owning the top spot for us right now. Going, you know, against Middle Tennessee, actually had a little bit of a down game. 64.1 pass blocking grade on 27 pass blocking snaps. Still dominated against the run, and he still has an 89.6 overall grade on the year. But he, right now, 6'5", 320 pounds. You worry about his length a little bit. Mm -hmm. Maybe think about kicking him inside. But right now, top offensive tackle in the class. Yeah, top offensive tackle in the class, because I think he's just a little smoother than Andrew Thomas. I mean, you always bring up smooth. That's the first thing you always bring up. Because because it goes back to the planet theory argument of you don't have six foot five plus guys with you know requisite length who requisite strength uh who also can move like they could play any other sport but you know football yeah. uh, they get also just more probably could have played basketball he was a all-state wrestler in iowa like he can do wow. other things than just this one skill that you teach him to do and i think that's important you know having that sort of coordination to uh, react to things on the fly that you not necessarily have seen. So I do think Werfs is just a little better in that regard. Uh, my mind can be changed. Thomas has been lights out this year. Both play in very run-heavy offenses, get protected with tight ends, uh, play-action game. So neither is kind of like on the Andre Dillard spectrum where you're just getting reps and pass pro well, game after game after game. Uh, so the three pressures that he has allowed this year, you know, only three hurries, no sacks, no hits, are a little bit fool, fool's gold. He's probably, if he was going one-on-one more, Often would get beat more often, but I do think uh, a guy that smooth, a guy that powerful, you know, broke Brandon Scherf's hang clean record at Iowa as a 20 year old. Uh, I I think there's going to be, you know, bright things in his future. The arrow is very much pointing up when you see in his grading profile, 59.3 as freshman, 74.8 as sophomore, 89.3 right now. The dude is getting getting better better and looks the part at that point. Mm hmm. Andrew, top, top tackle. Yeah, Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs are both kind of the top in that conversation. Yeah. But another guy we brought up here and there on the podcast, Josh Jones, Let's Houston. Go. That guy is grading very mm. well right now among all offensive linemen with 100 or more pass blocking snaps so far this year. He has earned the seventh best pass blocking grade at 88.4. Mm-hmm. I know he's not going against Power 5 competition as much as these other guys, Andrew Thomas and Tristan Wirfs, but Josh Jones is playing at a very high level. This is a guy, a big dude, has that athleticism, has that size. I think he's a guy that as he continues to play well, he's a guy I bet that in late in the draft process, you'll see a name start to rise up. Boys. Yes, I think you very much will. The more people get to watch him. Uh, the reason I'm still, you know, he's still only fifth on our tackle rankings here is that you're you're just going to have to rework his entire pass sets. He's basically just walking backwards, you know, <laughs> off the line of scrimmage, just doing a little backpedal. He's not, there's no kick slide. There's no, it's basically the Ed Oliver thing at Houston. I don't think they're teaching guys technique there. They're just letting them go out there and be like, hey, you figure it out. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll teach, we'll tell you what to do in the scheme. That seems what it looks like because he really doesn't have much technique. But what he does with his hands, his independent hand usage is fantastic. You see him trap so many guys in terms of just like yanking them down, uh, faking with his hands. Uh, he's so advanced in that regard that I'll take, I'll take, I'll bet on him being able to fix his feet, being able to learn uh, how to you know kick slide and you take you know NFL level sort of pass sets uh, sooner rather than later with how uh, you know that with how much with how advanced he is with using his hands and how uh, physically I think his tool set is completely there. He has all the you know, athleticism, strength, length to play tackle at the NFL level. Interior offensive line, got to go to your guy. Let's go. Fresno State, Natani Muti Here's has been this, yeah. outstanding mm-hmm. so far this year, was outstanding in years prior. He's a guy that you love for his nastiness, but he's also very good in pass protection. Uh, a guy that right now is your top interior offensive lineman coming out of the group of five. Top interior offensive lineman, the Fresno State. If you haven't watched him, go watch him. 
say it again and again, the highlight reel. This is Quentin level, Quentin <laughs> Nelson level highlight reel where he is just just dragon dudes, just yes. ball sack on their face, mm. snap wow. after snap. <laughs> it seems like just pancaking guys. Uh, he is not safe for work. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, Natani Muti is you know just throwing guys left and right. One of the, he's as powerful, if not more so, in from a you know actual game standpoint than an Andrew Thomas or a Tristan Wirfs. Like he is that level of nasty and uh, you know explosive. Uh, and the thing is, it translates to pass pro as well. He's getting the job done in that regard. Three pressures allowed so far this season. Eighty four point zero pass blocking grade. Uh, 80 plus, 80, 80 plus passing blocking grade every year of his career. Uh, the dude, to me, is the top interior prospect. I think he probably plays center. Probably he has the skill set that will keep him at guard. I think he'll be the possibility to be a Pro Bowl caliber guard uh, very soon in the NFL. Another name that gets brought up a lot right now in the interior offensive line class, I know it's early, but Michigan's Ben Bredesen. Right now has mm. the second best pass blocking grade in the country, but I, I, I know you have some reservations about his game. Yeah, I just I don't think he has the balance uh, and the strength to play at the NFL level. Yes, he's big dude, 6'5", 320, uh, but it just doesn't show up in terms of moving people on the football field. Uh, I don't love his game whatsoever. A lot of people have him near the top of their guard rankings so far. He's, you know, he's got that blue blood, four-year starter pedigree, mm-hmm. but I just don't see it compared to the other... Uh, other guard you know, there. Compared to Muti, compared to guys like... Uh, uh, Tyler Biotish, the center from Wisconsin, they're just at a different level uh, right now than what I've seen from Bredesen. So, yeah, I mean, pass blocking grade's good right now. They really haven't faced any sort of defensive... Low snap count as well. They, 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 yeah, they haven't faced any sort of interior rusher that's ever going to get me excited. So, one pressure on the season, but uh, pump the brakes inside. What about his teammate, Michael Onwenu? Another He's, guy with the high. He was pass our beer belly yeah. a few weeks ago. <laughs> He's another guy with a very high pass blocking mm-hmm. grade right now that's dominating the Michigan system. Yeah, but again, it goes back to they have just not, not played anybody. Interior, but like that. You look the, at their defensive line grades with how they have, yeah. Michigan's defensive line grades, like all of them look like future all pros because yeah. they're going against some cupcakes they've, and I think very they've, much. they've feasted mm-hmm. for sure. That's going to do it for our position rankings so far for the top offensive line, uh, top offensive players at every position. Those are the top guys. We're going to be doing defense on the next pod. Yep. Cannot wait. Getting into that defense. Now, moving to our next segment. This is our draft special segment where we talk about top prospect performances from the weekend. Pour a couple drafts here. Sip them down. Let's start with Notre Dame edge defender Julian Aquara. This is a guy that you've loved from the jump. Yes. And he's really played well as of late and played well this past weekend. I'm going to make a little comparison here to last year's edge class where you had basically Josh Allen and Nick Bosa at the top, and it was kind of just a two-horse race. And then Brian Burns was kind of this afterthought, but now they get to the NFL, and I think all three have been sort of on par. Fantastic. Uh, in terms, yeah, all, all three have been good and uh, kind of like on par in terms of performance through the first four weeks here. Uh, and we had Burns. We actually had Burns as a top-ten player in last year's class. Uh, I think that's going to be how we end up with Aquar in this edge group in terms of, yes, Epinesa and uh, Chase Young. Elite players. I'm not taking anything away from them, but I think Okawar is pretty damn close mm-hmm. to what they bring to the table. He's going to test out like a freak. I think his 40 could be uh, in the low four five. So that wow. is how fast he pops off the tape uh, and is already one of the best bull rushers in the country. We worried about Brian Burns being able to bull rush. Okawar's go to is his bull rush and at, he's that 200, fast and at 245 pounds. Yeesh. Uh, and he has ridiculous bend. Uh, at 6'5", dude basically moves like a wide receiver. If you want to flip him around and play tight end, he could be the top tight end prospect in this class. Probably oh, soon. Wow. Like, he's that level. He's better than Pinkney. He's that level. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is at this point in terms of production. But he's that level of athlete to where 
I think he might get a little underrated because of how uh, you know you know the, how physically freakish and how the two guys ahead of him look the part. But I do think Aquara is a very very talented edge rusher. This game against Virginia, unblockable. They resorted to chipping Dude, him a Virginia, ton in the oh, second man. half, but three sacks, four hurries, a hit. A uh, handful of other uh, good rushes that didn't end up resulting in it, but yeah. But in, so he is very much um, edge three in this class. At this point. and an edge three first rounder. You know, it's not like edge yeah, three, edge three, three yeah, borderline top ten player. There you go. So let's go to um, Oklahoma State. The running back Chuba Hubbard mm-hmm. has played very well. He earned his best single game game rushing grade of the year against Kansas State, a ninety point two rushing grade, averaged eleven point six yards per carry, a three point four two coming after the contact. The thing about it, I like this performance is that he showed some of that long speed mm-hmm. on that big breakaway run. You saw that he could keep pace, and he's been a very elusive back to start. Forcing he's forced thirty one missed tackles this year. Does have two fumbles, which you worry about, but again, mm-hmm. six foot one, two hundred seven pounds. I think this guy starting to enter that conversation for one of the better running backs in this class, which is always every year it's a running <laughs> back class. Okay, every yeah. every year there's an athlete that plays running back and oh wow he's good but chuba has a great name and i think that's what yes. no, no no name <laughs> scouting name i mean scouting, he's, he's gonna be on the board but again he's elusive the first thing we look at you know with running running backs to college level is receiving ability mm-hmm. and then that second thing is can you be elusive can you force missed tackles and gain yards after contact therefore gaining yards above expectation mm-hmm. and i think he's shown that yeah. specifically against kansas state yes he has uh and i do think you've seen receiving ability as well uh, this past season, you know, 2018, 22 catches, only two drops, one for 229 yards, a couple touchdowns, uh, broke eight tackles on those 22 catches. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. I'm not super worried about that. So he checks that box. Um, so in this past week, what I love from him as a runner, he's not he's not the he's not on par athletically with a Jonathan Taylor, or Travis Etienne. He's not on par with those guys at the top of this class. He's not uh, that level. But he has decisiveness that you think his running style will translate well to the NFL. Saw this past week against Kansas State in terms of he gets in the hole. There's two defenders unblocked in that hole. It was on like the nine-yard line. Puts his foot in the ground, sticks his helmet right in the chest of one of those defenders, drags him all the way into the end zone because he uh, didn't try to shake him, didn't try to do anything that he knows he can't do. He tried to get maximized yardage on that run, ended up doing it, getting the end zone. That's basically the type of runner he is he is not going to you know look for that home run he's going to look for what's the best i can get on this given play given the blocking and that's something that you love to see out of a college running back maybe a trait we don't talk about enough you talk about vision yeah. every every day i feel like with running backs oh does he have the vision and the patience all that uh-huh. stuff but decisiveness is also very important being you know willing to stick your foot in the ground and you know put your helmet through someone's chest and make a play i think chuba showed that um another top draft special here ohio state cornerback jeffrey akuda a guy who has an elite athletic profile six foot one 199 pounds former five star has mm-hmm. everything you want in terms of yeah. the tools and this past week a 90.7 coverage grade two interceptions was targeted just once didn't allow a reception he had the he had the one the interception where he's laying on his back and people loved it but that other interception he had where he jumps in front of that pass Much i better. think was more impressive yeah. and akuda he went into this i i feel like when we were doing a lot of the the preseason scouting for the draft guide um you look at akuda and you like love his athletic profile and you start watching tape wasn't tested a ton you just i feel like you, the thing you want more maybe more reps and this year getting, getting more tested. reps getting tested and you're yes. starting to see this guy flourish yeah Opposing QB should not be testing him. He is <laughs> legitimately, I, I think, conversation at this point pretty much over. He is the top cornerback prospect in my mind for the 2020 draft. Uh, go back to high school. He's you know, 6'2", 200 pounds, runs sub 4'5", 40, 41 and a half inch vertical 
in a 4.03 short shuttle, which is absurd for a man that, that size. size. His wow. change of direction ability, his feet for a bigger corner are you know Patrick Peterson esque level. He's not Ooh. he's not that. Yeah. Uh, you know Patrick Peterson was a once in a lifetime sort of athlete, but he is. Uh, about as an elite athlete as exists outside of Patrick Peterson at the cornerback position. So lots to like about Okuda. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think has all the tools to be a you know top ten cornerback in the NFL. Uh, and I think he just blows this cornerback class out of the water. He is the number one cornerback at this point. This is a guy. Spoiler we, alert for Thursday show. <laughs> this is a guy when we get to you know doing maybe some pre-draft interviews, talking to some of these prospects. I want to get on the phone or maybe talk in person at the combine because a guy with this much you potential. Get his number? Yeah, I want to get this guy's number. Maybe <laughs> ask him for a couple drinks, a couple rolling rocks. But this is a guy with all this potential, all this athletic ability, and still very uh, relatively inexperienced. Hasn't been tested a ton going back to mm-hmm. last year. I want to talk about what he's trying to get better at and see where yeah. he's trying to go because I feel like if he's a guy that realizes his potential, similar to what Brian Burns did, and even when you. You talk to TCU Ben Banigou. He's like, dude, I know I'm pretty athletic. I can make some plays. This is what I want to get better at. Mm-hmm. When you talk to an athlete that has this ceiling and this, you know, all this potential because of his athletic profile, and they want to get better and are committed to kind of grinding the tape and, and you know performing better on film and all that stuff, I think that's what I want to hear from Akuda. Because if you start to hear those words come out of an Ohio State corner with this kind of size and athletic profile, who's already sticky in man coverage, mm-hmm. I mean, you you know, write him off as a very, very good cornerback prospect. Yeah, I mean, just the numbers right now, uh, under six yards per target against, 39.1 passer rating when targeted this season. Yeesh. It's, it's pretty... And you just been love corners out. coming out of Ohio State because yeah. they play so much man coverage and you're actually <laughs> exactly. going to be able to translate that it's, next level. The zone is easier to teach a guy... Uh, than the man coverages. Yes. The man coverage is a skill that's almost I mean, like... the Saints, you, one of the better defenses in the NFL, yeah. has like a bunch of Ohio State defensive backs, mm-hmm. and I feel like they're all thriving. Marshawn Lattimore absolutely yeah. locked up Amari Cooper this past week, and I think, I mean, again, Ohio State corners, you just love to see... You know them perform yeah. at that. At it's that much time. more translatable exactly. what, you're, what they're going to be playing at the next level in terms of press coverage, man coverage. Mm-hmm. You see it a lot more. All right, got to talk about Alabama wide receiver Jerry. Oh, I mean Devontae Smith. Right. There, there's so, oh my gosh, broke Not the Henry school Ruggs. record. He broke the school record for, for five receiving touchdowns. He had 274 receiving yards, four broken tackles, and five touchdowns. The guy was lights out. Legit speed. I, I think that's the first thing you notice with him. Legit speed. And I think raw, though. I still think he's a pretty raw player. But still, perf- to have this production, as raw he is, he yeah. is, it is incredible. I think this guy with more polish could be pretty legit. That was the biggest thing that popped off on the tape to me right away was, uh, one, these routes were nothing special. Yeah, I know. I was like, <laughs> I was going to say like, that. This like post route that he ran, uh, he didn't even get really separation on it, despite it being you know much faster than the cornerback he was going up against. I was very like, ooh, that did not look great the way he set it up. Very straight liney approaching it, no real break on the post. Uh, but then what did wow me was the way he went up and attacked the football yes. on all these plays. Uh, and the one that didn't even probably is like I think it was his shortest catch of the day was to me one of the most impressive in terms of he had a probably like a five yard day comes on an in route. Uh, Tua's late getting him the football, and so he continues to work back towards Tua instead of just standing and going Between in a straight line. He knows that that defensive back is on his hip. If he doesn't get back to the football, that DB is picking it. That's a good skill to have when you're a rookie in the NFL. It builds quarterbacks' trust to know that, hey, uh, I'm going to bail you out. If you throw this ball a little late, I'm going to get to it before this DB is. I'm going to attack it. And the way he attacks football in the air is something that's just difficult to teach. You know, if a wide receiver either has it or he doesn't, I think Devontae Smith has it. Again, I need to see more polish. Hopefully he'll... You do, you do. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just think that uh, he's still, you know, third rung on that Alabama receiving core right now. But uh, some 
a lot more good than bad. That go, that go up the left sideline where he still was didn't create a ton of separation, but made that kind of contested catch for the touchdown was yeah. pretty impressive for me. I think you you mentioned it, the ball skills. I think were pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. How he attacked the football was great. I do I agree with you though from a route running perspective, still very raw. I think he's just been faster than everybody his whole life. Yes. like he still is kind of running with that same mentality. Mm-hmm. If he gets to a level where his there's a little bit more polish in his game, you 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 start to come away really impressed. I, I would bet he or returns. I would hope he comes back to school yeah. as a junior. Yeah. If he returns and then is that the focal point because say say Ruggs, what, yeah. say Ruggs and Judy go and I would, you have I would bet good money Ruggs and Judy uh, mm-hmm. Judy obviously but Ruggs yeah. as well now with how good he's been yeah and then you have Devontae Smith being the primary in that offense mm-hmm. just lighting it up that that sounds exciting to watch for next year uh, another receiver last draft special let's sit this one down T right. Higgins of Clemson we already talked about him earlier when we were talking about that wide receiver discussion but he had another great week yes and uh, the biggest thing for me was just the body control on full display. Uh, my favorite play was up the seam, back shoulder. He catches it, and then in stride turns all the way 360. You know, goes from running, uh, looking over his right shoulder, catches it, spins back over all the way 360, and doesn't even like miss a beat. A lot of guys will trip in that situation. A lot of guys will stumble. He just spins and runs and doesn't even lose any speed. It seemed like on it. Uh, that's that's just rare to be able to see a receiver uh, have that sort of body control, have that awareness, have those hands. Uh, those are all plus plus traits for Higgins uh, at this point. His his raw stats uh, don't do him justice because he hasn't been on the field for a ton of pass plays. He's still you know top ten nationwide in terms of yards per route at the moment. So uh, yeah, T Higgins, like I said, still a top twenty player in this class, even if he's not a top five receiver on our board. It's been a very positive podcast, but I think I got to drag it down a bit. <sighs> Pour one out. This is our second. These are a couple of my guys. <laughs> I know these are a couple of your guys. Pour one out this is a segment where we talk about, you know, where we got to pour one out for some prospect performances over the weekend that did really not go as planned. Guys, you just hate to see perform at the level they ah. did. San Jose State wide receiver Trey Walker, who is really not that good. I never really liked him. I, I, I told you that from the game. We get-go. highlighted him on last week's pod, didn't we? I, I think so. But Trey Walker, four drops. Oh. Four drops this past weekend. I'm, I'm pour, I'll start the I don't know why you don't like him because San Jose State realizes he is by far their top option. He got 15 targets this first game, <laughs> 15 targets this past weekend. And he they drops are half of them. pumping him the ball. <laughs> no, so he had three tar- he had three drops in his career up to this point. Mm. Four drops He's in got this the game. Yips. This could be one of those games where you just, you know, come draft time, you throw it in the garbage can, light it on okay. fire. It didn't mean anything. I'm going to keep it pouring it out. It was completely meaningless. Uh, hopefully that's the case because I love I love his suddenness in his routes. This dude is one of the better route runners in the nation, yet he's playing at San Jose State. Uh but man, four drops Ugh. on ten catchable. Hopefully, uh, it's a performance they for they Danny. Forget they weren't all like easy drops. Some of them were a little high, mm-hmm. but four of them that could have been hauled in that he didn't is pretty brutal. So you don't want to see we'll him get the yips. For you know, Steve yeah. Palazzolo's minor league. Career I mean, it could be because of the yips. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> think Amari Cooper had uh, bad hands, and then he had a couple games that senior year, junior year, excuse me, at Alabama with like three or four drops. And then all of a sudden, it's Rick Erie at 18. Mm. You don't want to see that. Yeah, you don't. This could be Trey Walker doing Uh-oh. that. But I mean, if that. you create separation at the same level as Mark Cooper does, I don't care really exactly. what your drop rate is. Um, let's go to the, another poor one out. Vanderbilt, we talked about him. He's a top tight end on PFF Mike's. And I mean, I'll, I'll, own, I'll take some ownership of that board. Uh, our PFF draft board, he's the top tight end, Jared Pinkney. But again, we're pouring one out. Another, I mean, he hasn't had a good performance yet. No. I mean, pouring, let's just pour one don't out for the it. start of his 2019 season. I'm going to go ahead and say that quarterback Riley Neal is to blame. Oh, here we go. We can pour one out all we want, but Riley Neal, this one's also for you. Target your mans. 
Uh, but Target no, your man's. no, he has gone only three of seven in contested opportunities too. Like he's oh, had that's chances. <laughs> that's not good. Like I just, Yikes. I don't know. It was not been there. One, one broken tackle all season long. This past week, uh, caught one ball for a yard mm. against Nor- Northern Illinois, the powerhouse. Uh, they have good linebackers though. I, what do you guys? Uh, no, I'm not even. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I can't make any excuse for it. He just hasn't been you know, there this you year. Know, you know who's really struggled that I kind of liked mm-hmm. and coming in from Vanderbilt is Kalijah Lipscomb. He's a guy that really struggled, yeah. not, not this past week, but really struggled to create separation against LSU. Stingley mm-hmm. was just, or is it Stringley? Stringley? The LSU corner? I'm losing it. Well, anyway, the LSU corner. I'm thinking. Stingley. Just, Sting- Stingley. Stingley, yeah. Yeah. Derek Stingley ruined him yeah. in that game. Kalijah Lipscomb would, could not create separation to save his life. And I think I liked him for what he could do after the catch. I think he was pretty sudden, could force missed tackles. But if you can't create separation, yeah. I'm going to start to cry. You know, Keyshawn Vaughn's the best prospect in that Dude, offense now. Yeah, that's a, that's a good call out, actually. Who's actually fifth in our running back ranking, so oh. we didn't get to. But Jared Pinckney is falling fast. I can hear him. Just... <sighs> he had um, such a big lead, too. But yeah, let's I, go back I to positive. Brian might be. Yeah. Let's go back to positive. We're done pouring them out. Let's go Rolling Rooks, our segment where we talk about the top rookie performances of the week. Roll, play a little about the Rolling Rocks. I love sipping down some Rolling Rocks. Let's talk. You're the only one. Yeah. You're the only one. Yeah, and I'm the only one. I'm still keeping that business afloat. Um, rolling Rooks, starting with Tennessee Titans, A.J. Brown. Let's go. Dude, he has been in bursts because I feel like every time I see well, him, he has a huge That's game. any receiver in Marcus Mariota's offense. Very true. He's, he's, he's the bursty. Derek Carr of the AFC South in terms of just like – who he's throwing to game after game doesn't have anything to do with who's the one getting open. Yeah. It's basically just Mariota's all over the place. Uh, mm-hmm. But A.J. Brown put the ball in his hands. Mariota make the decision. Yeah. He's been performing three of three when he was targeted. Three targets, three catches, 94 yards, two touchdowns. Over a 90 the receiving big play uh, after the catch is absurd. Dude runs a sub. He ran a sub four five. Had a sub seven three cone at two hundred twenty five pounds. You could have played him at like edge rusher, and he probably would have been productive. Like this is a freak <laughs> athlete. Ferrelli. Broke you know forty tackles in the SEC in three years. He's there. also a he unit. Just, the yeah. dude's like stacked. Like I, I, I know pounds. the picture against uh, yeah. DK Metcalf made him look like you know small, but like but they're, compared they're to NFL the players, way. the dude is jacked. He looks like yeah. a legitimate beef house. Yeah. And I feel like him creating separation and gaining yards after catch uh, after the catch, like he can. It's absurd that he's not more involved. I, I think know. Marcus Mariota needs to figure it out because I yeah. think this guy needs to be heavy target he's, share. So many you know yeah. create plays to get him involved underneath all that stuff. And he can get open with purely athleticism, and he can get open. If a guy's draped all over him because he is, like you said, a unit, 225 pounds, uh, and then after the catch is just difficult to bring down. Turns into a running back. He was right doing away. like some celebration after the like touchdown or something. I was like, yeah. dude, that guy is jacked, legitimately jacked. Um, let's go to a guy not so jacked, a little bit small on the smaller side. Arizona Cardinals cornerback Byron Murphy had a very good game after a tough start, but he's been thrown into the fire. Yes, playing a tough, tough system. I think as a rookie going against some top competition in an Arizona Cardinals defense that looks like puke, mm-hmm. and and has played pretty well in this past week. Three for five when targeted, 19 yards, two forced incompletions. I think he looked very good. 86.7 coverage grade in this game. And you know who he got on one of those forced incompletions? Talk to me. DK Metcalf. Oh, that's right. I saw that. I saw that. From the slot, mm-hmm. slot sort of uh, slot fade uh, in the red zone, press coverage. DK doesn't create an inch separation. He's right there at the catch point. It falls incomplete. Byron Murphy, That's those are the sort of reps that I wasn't sure. Uh, I was a little worried about him coming out because he got... Uh, hurt a bit in man coverage, playing press there at Washington at times. was much better in off zone. He had a really nice play in the I flat saw that off zone. in the yes. game uh, from off zone where he came up and made a stop for about two yards uh, on a flat route. But that press rep against DK was not easy in his own right to press. You know, probably got 30 or so pounds on Murphy uh, right in his grill. Uh, for him to 
for him to put that on tape, very encouraging for Cardinals fans. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. People listening to the podcast are like, oh, I love that offside zone. We're kind of getting excited about Byron <laughs> Murphy. Um, Christian Wilkins, a little bit of a bounce back game. Definitely a rolling rook here. 86.6 run defense grade, but still. Has struggled as a pass rusher. Mm-hmm. You'd like to see him improve there. But playing in Miami right now, I mean, you can't be being motivated a ton. <laughs> I, I don't know what's this going down there. South Beach is a struggle. But this is what this is what you wanted to see. Like the run defense, if that didn't, if that light switch didn't flip on ever for Christian Wilkins, because here was his run defense grades through the first three weeks. He had 57.4, 64.1, and 50.9. It was bad. Yeah. First few weeks there for Christian Wilkins. So that light switch didn't flip on. Uh, this could have, this was going to go down as a very, very bad draft pick because that was his bread and butter at Clemson. He did that every single year, was a f- force against the run. Uh, not, was not, did, came out, was not super athletic. Like I did not love his sort of uh, potential as a pass rusher. I just, he was, he beat up college offensive linemen purely by being stronger than him, by being stronger than them. And when you come out and you're 23 years old and that's your bread and butter, you're not really going to get much stronger at that age. If you're 20 and that's your bread and butter, kind of like a Kenny Clark was, yes, you could get better uh, in that regard. But I didn't see it. Pass rushing still not there. Five pressures in four games. Uh, that one, I, I still don't know. And that's why we had him, I think, as a, almost a second rounder uh, in the last year's draft. And why we thought 13 was a little high. But that light switch flips on against the run. He was going up against Chargers line that you want to dominate. And he mm-hmm. did dominate them. So nice to see from him in this one. He has another good game. He might be demanding for a trade. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, okay, last point. rolling rook here, and this one I added late right before the podcast because, I mean, you, I'd be remiss not to bring this guy up. Yeah. He's lighting the NFL on fire, mustache in tow. Gardner Minshew. That play, I know it's volatile. I know play under pressure is volatile. It won't happen again. It probably it will never happen again. Yes. But that play where he avoids like three or four Denver Broncos defenders and throws a touchdown to help this game, I mean, help that his team win that game mm-hmm. was incredible. It's that moxie. It's that stuff that, you know, He's a winner. He's a winner. He's a winner when it comes down to it. And I think you, it, it's so hard not to just throw waves of support on this guy. We have a t-shirt on pff.com, the store. We also have the stickers for your laptop. I'm going to get one. I might wear one on my chest from here on out. I've already said on the last podcast that if he leads the Jaguars mm-hmm. to a AFC South crown, I will wear a mustache for all of January PFF vids. I am all in on Gardner Minshew. He's one of the highest graded quarterbacks in the NFL, regardless of rookies. Yes. And I think this is a guy, if he continues this performance – can lead a Jaguars team where every team is two and two in the AFC South to a crown in that in there and maybe make a playoff berth and then we got Gardner mentioned the playoffs everyone's shirts come off I'm just ready for it <laughs> I do think so uh, when I hear here you go you're I, pouring water on no the this situation. is not this is going to be no this is not actually okay this is kind of not even like uh, necessarily related to Minshew but more scouting in general when you hear scouts or you know former uh, scouts pers- TV personalities drone about. Oh, he's a winner. He's a great kid. I mean, assholes like Antonio Brown can be incredible players in the NFL. You don't have to necessarily have this moxie to you or whatever that you just said at a lot of NFL positions. I think quarterback, though, is a little different in that regard in terms of personality at that position matters to winning football games. Not necessarily performance, but I do think certain personalities uh, can lead teams better, will win more football games. Some guys will play better down the stretch and have their teammates play better for them down the stretch uh, when they have you know certain traits. Minshew, I believe, has those. I think the team is going to rally around him. Uh, so I, I think there's a... Yes, he's been great uh, the first handful of games here. I'm not sure... Uh, He's ever going to be Tom Brady, you know? Yeah. Everyone wants to pencil him into the sort of same narrative there. Tom Brady would never wear but that mustache. I, I, okay, I so <laughs> even compare him to Tom But Brady. I have, I'll say it, I love what I've seen from <laughs> yeah. him so far. And with that defense in Jacksonville. I got a little nugget for you. That defense in Jacksonville. 
Gardner Minshew. Uh, might take full job. Shortly after that win, the guy who does football analytics for the Jaguars, Tony Khan, mm-hmm. went back and retweeted three different things from, from PFF when we were talking about how high he's graded in our system, his accuracy, his throw anticipation. He retweeted a bunch of like, the story. Tony Khan, high school. Went yep. to my same high school. There you go. So he retweeted a bunch of the PFF stuff right after that win. I think, I, I mean, I'm reading into a retweet, but at the same time, I think the analytics were good on this kid. Like yeah. he's like he had high grades. The accuracy, he, was, yeah. the accuracy was there. I think the numbers back Gardner Minshew. It's more than a mustache. It's more mm-hmm. than the Jack Daniels hammering his hand for a medical red shirt. He's got the moxie and the numbers. He's PFF's more superhero. Moxie. Okay, I am all in on this guy. When do we start grading moxie? That's when I, I, I'm. We'll I'm willing to, to start. I'm willing to start. Okay, yeah. I feel like I would grade myself pretty high moxie. Eighty nine point nine. I don't know. Maybe we not. Don't elite let yet. guys grade themselves here. So um, okay. Blackout performances. It got really positive. I started to pour praise on the Gardner Minshew. <laughs> mustache is getting thicker as we speak. Blackout, blackout performances. These are performances from rookies that they want to forget, like blackouts yeah. we want to forget. Um, I guess I have to forget. Marquise Brown, Baltimore Ravens, came out of the gates hot against Miami and Arizona, going against better defenses now this past week, caught four of six targets, 22 yards, two drops. Mm. Not super exciting performance for him. And, and if he's not going to be getting it done yeah. for the Ravens, it's going to be very hard to get those explosive plays for them. Yeah, dropped a TD in that game, dropped a slant route that would have resulted in a first down, like I said, only 22 yards. It's nothing that's going to necessarily worry me long term. Mm-hmm. He's, really str- he's never really struggled with drops at any point. It worries me more from the Ravens you know, team perspective that they haven't been finding uh, you know, deep plays on the football field. You had so many of them in those early games. The opportunities were always there. Uh, is it if teams as have opposing you worry about sort of opposing defenses adjusting to what the Ravens are doing because it's so new you know they, they they're sort of in that Chip Kelly thing of it's so different from what you've seen so before much pistol. They that so much pistol so much element of surprise so much guys have just not seen some of this stuff before all of a sudden you catch up a little bit and have you lost that little edge that you had early in the season. That's what I worry about with Easy the Ravens to gain an edge, though, Brown. when you're going against Miami Dolphins in week one. Also, that helps. Yeah. yeah, that helps. And then Cardinals defense isn't great either. I think, yeah. you know, now going against some other maybe more competent well, uh, well, Again, we're working with tiny sample sizes Oh, yeah. This, I mean, and through week four, everyone's individual. just ready yeah. to overreact. I mean, exactly. I'm ready to crown Gardner Inch's Super Bowl champion, future Tom Brady. But again, it's all overreaction. And, and yeah. I think PFF, I feel like you have to push out this content in weeks one, weeks two, even after week four. Mm-hmm. But again, small sample size is the enemy. You know, they can polarize grades. They can polarize advanced statistics, whether mm-hmm. it be really good or really really bad another blackout performance this guy thrown to the wolves absolute wolves if you're not going to throw him in against you know chicago why did you wait a couple series of case keenum the case keenum you knew and then threw him into this game dwayne haskins blackout performance for the washington redskins and a blackout performance for that decision i, I think Dude, it was a bad call a it was a bad call to throw him in there probably underprepared there's zero the, chance he I got mean, a ton of reps yeah oh man 31.1 passing grade Couple, you know, three picks, uh, only two turnover plays, though, silver lining. Oh, as many wow. as he actually threw. So he's actually good. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, it's almost like you can't blame him. You're not, if you're not the starter, you're not getting the reps. And they didn't season. have the you're number one receiver either. For, yeah, exactly. You don't have Terry McLaurin. You're not preparing for, you know, the defense you're facing. They're just, that was not the time to do it. Let Case Keenum <laughs> take his lumps. Dude's a veteran. He can handle it. He's a big boy. Jeez. Uh, and now they're bad. thinking about starting Cole McCoy next week. It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, Dwayne Haskins, one year start at Ohio State. Then you're going to throw him into this. Like, mm. oh, man, it, it yeah. was a tough situation for him. It's a blackout performance, but again, not of his own doing. You know, this is a fraternity yeah. initiation where you weren't planning on blacking out that much. But when you got there, they're like, dude, if you want to be uh, a pledge here, you're going to need to pound yeah. like two fifths tonight. You're like, oh, man, and two like, fifths <laughs> turn into two turnover worthy plays pretty quickly. I'll tell you that right now. Another blackout performance you got to bring up. 
Only because he's he's kind of a constant here. He's mm. he's just, just always bringing the heat. He's, as a blackout. He's a like, what did I say before the show? He's a, he's an eighteen year old white girl in his mm-hmm. first semester of college. Yeah, she went to a small she was went to a small high school about four hundred people, <laughs> and then she goes out to San Diego State, and then next thing you know, you get just get thrown into the party scene. Okay, and you're not ready for the party. Uh, but here, Garrett it's, Bradbury. It's Garrett Bradbury getting thrown <laughs> to the NFC North. <laughs> Garrett Bradbury, Minnesota Vikings first round pick, great as a run blocker, loved him outside zone, NC State, but. As a pass protector right now, he's been absolutely body bagged yeah. by pretty much everyone except for the Oakland Raiders. I mean, no, <laughs> the Oakland Raiders aren't body bagging anyone, but Eddie Goldman feasting. You have a week, you know, Kenny Clark has had his fair share. You, this this guy five more pressures this week. Oh my gosh. Grady Jarrett in week one yeah. tossed his cookies. I mean, this is a guy that has had blackout performance after blackout performance. He needs to go back, back to the grindstone and, and really try and assess this because this is something that's turning into a liability. It's yeah, more I mean, than like just they, a problem. They, it's a legitimate very much, liability. If he wasn't a first rounder, if he's this guy was a fifth rounder, mm-hmm. there's zero chance he'd be starting right yeah. now. Yeah, he's given up 13 pressures through four weeks. You go the Bengals route, bench him like they did with Billy Price, and yeah. then and then then throw him at left guard late last night. Yeah. Give him a wait, and then, give him then a watch him get sauced by Tyson Alualu. <laughs> oh man, blackout performance for Garrett Bradbury. It's a constant yeah. for him. He went to a small high school. Now he's in the yeah. big college <laughs> party scene, and it's easy to black out that quickly. Um, Last segment of the pod. This yep. has been a fantastic pod, by the way. It's been great to be here mm-hmm. with you and talk Gardner Minshew, Garrett Bradbury, Same. the whole lot. Um, micro brew segment. This is going to be one of those smaller brews. It doesn't even come in a can. It's like this mm-hmm. unmarked glass bottle, but like somehow you're going to come away pretty impressed. Cole McDonald of Hawaii. Do they have micro brews in Hawaii? I bet you they do. They have so to. Cole McDonald, before you dive into how good he is, the advanced numbers, all that stuff that mm-hmm. people come to this podcast for, I saw the progression from his freshman to him now and how the dreads oh, of his man. hair has He became Hawaiian. <laughs> Yes, it he was fantastic. Hilarious. It was it was hilarious. He has so. blonde dreads right now. It's incredible. And I think if we were going to grade hair, that's high. Yeah. And those dreads are pretty nice. I mean, I don't know if I could grow them out and look as good. But I mean, they're about as good as white guy dreads can be. I would agree. They're never, you're never going to look like good, but mm-hmm. you can look cool at so least. Give, give me the numbers on cool. this guy. Just looking at base level stuff. 10 big time throws. Does have 13 turnover yeah, so plays. It's actually just watching him in Hawaii's offense is hilarious because... Mm-hmm. They don't run anything other than four or five wide. Like, and by when I say that, I mean they actually don't run anything other. Than, it's just four and five wide every single snap. Mm-hmm. They're in that Miami offense. Personnel so and formation. It's the spread, yeah, it is the spread taken to its fullest extent. He's in shotgun passing every play, basically. Dude, uh, I unless love they it. literally don't. I, I just and got so, excited somehow. <laughs> so he is just uh, the thing, though, and he has a cannon of an arm. Six four, two twenty. Looks the part. Great, absolute dreads. cannon. Okay, looking dreads. Um, and you mentioned this, so the ten big time throws, thirteen turnover worthy plays. He will make throws down the football field where I'm just like, there's just a safety standing there. Safety doesn't move. The ball goes in the safety's hands, and you're like, what the hell just happened? But the thing he has that a lot of you know you get stereotypes is this big arm quarterback. The thing he has that a lot of those guys don't have underneath accuracy. His ball placement underneath Ooh. is fantastic. I mean, this guy is kind of the anti-Josh Allen. Josh Allen's just all over the place on those like five-yard hitches. He's completing, <laughs> his adjusted completion percentage on throws one to nine yards downfield is 90.2%. 90.2% adjusted completion percentage, fourth in the country right now. He is wow. legitimately very accurate on those sort of throws, and I think there's something to work with there. Now, the decision-making, Ooh. very much concerning. 13 turnover-worthy throws uh, is top five in the country. 
10 big time throws, though, also top 10 in the country. You so get that guy off the island, though, on the mainland, bro. And yeah. you're like, you cut the dreads down and get him a coach that's like, dude, you can't you get really that laissez-faire attitude. Dude, t- talk about the... decision making. The guy has blonde streak dreads, okay? Yeah. This guy needs some help. He gets off the gets off the island, goes to the mainland, and people are like, dude, you could actually just wear a buzz cut. And yeah. That's kind of popular over here. And then you're like, okay, I don't have to force lights it to the safety. Flips. Yes. Yeah. I think the light switch could flip with a dread trim. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it. I, uh, that's going to do it for the pod. That's our microbrew segment. We went over position rankings, drafts, specials, blackouts, and poor one outs. But this has been it for the two for one drafts podcast. This has been uh, Mike Renner and Austin Gale. Uh, you can check us out live on YouTube Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. 